After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, Peace to this house. And if someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest upon them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal those who are ill and tell them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it'll be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it would be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon if the, that the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, You'll be lifted to the heavens? Will you be lifted to the heavens? No. You go down to Hades. Whoever listens to you, listens to me. Whoever rejects you, rejects me. But whoever rejects me, rejects the one who sent me. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. At that time, Jesus, full of joy for the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and reveal them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son, and those whom the Father, sorry, those whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then he returned, then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that, that see what you see, for I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it, and hear what you hear, but did not hear it. This is the word of the Lord. If we keep that open, that will be really helpful. You'll see there's uh, quite a lot there. We're not going to try and do every verse. Um, but 
so we're going to pick out some of the headlines together. Let me uh, say a prayer. Uh, Father, we've already remembered that your words are lamp to our feet, so please would it be shining uh, today. Uh, Would you be directing our thinking, our feet as we walk through life? Uh, Please, Heavenly Father, would you be speaking uh, today in Jesus' name. Amen. How are people in our lives and people in our neighbourhood going to know Jesus as their Saviour? How are they going to hear the news that God has come into the world to rescue men and women and boys and girls? How are they going to realise that they need him to do that for them too? Well, fortunately, Jesus says, there's someone in charge of all that, and it's not you, it's not me. Jesus speaks, did you see in verse 2, about God as the Lord of the harvest. He's the one in charge of it all. If humanity all seven billion and rising of us is the field. God is the one who is in charge of that field. He's the one who sends out workers to gather people in to his kingdom if we ask him to. So we're not in charge, but we are involved. Today, just as back in Jesus' day, God involves his people in his work. And that's what we think about today as we read this. Um, we uh, know if we were, uh, read from verse 51 that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's resolutely set out for Jerusalem where we know he's going to die to save the world, to pay for our sins. That's what he's all about. And if you looked at verse 1, he appoints 72 others. Um, nowadays, uh, business people have personal assistants. You might have one or be one. Uh, or executive assistants. Uh, and Jesus appoints 72 personal assistants to go and prepare the way for him to visit these towns along the way to Jerusalem on his journey. And I don't know whether you, uh, what you made of it as uh, Sue read it out to us. There are lots of specific details, aren't there? A bit like at the beginning of chapter 9, where Jesus sends out the 12. Very similar, actually, some of the specifics there. Uh, like verse 4, no, no purse, no bag, no time for chatting. Don't greet anyone on the road. Um, there's an urgent mission that Jesus is on. He's involving these um, others in, 72 of them. And there's lots of details there. But in, in amongst all the details is also the essence of mission. Then, and that's going to tell us about how it is that you and I can be involved in Jesus' mission today, how he wants that to work. Three headlines to pick out. The first is pray and go. The second is tell people they need Jesus. And then the final thing which we'll dwell on is rejoice that your name is written in heaven. Pray and go. That's verses 2 and 3. Verse 2. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. That's the key principle. It's a real mystery, though, to me. I I think it is. uh, that, That God is in charge. He's the Lord of the harvest. But he wants 
ordinary people who have discovered Jesus to be involved in the mission really from the very first stages at the entry level of taking the initiative that we're supposed to say, Lord, the picture is him sort of waiting to be asked before people go out to tell other people. And so we're supposed to say, well, Lord, there's a real opportunity. There's a primary school in my street. There's a real opportunity. There's... um, well, there's so many of my colleagues that don't... I mean, they, they went to church a few times when they were kids, but they don't really know Jesus. They haven't really heard as adults. There's so many opportunities, Lord. Please, would you send someone to tell them about Jesus? Yeah? Isn't that the picture? The Lord of the harvest. Please send workers, Lord. And somehow God wants us to be involved in praying those prayers as part of our involvement in, it's all up to him ultimately but we get to just say Lord would you would you send someone for those people for that group would you send someone for the young people of London would you send lots of people Lord for the young people of London pray verse 2 and then verse 3 go just when you thought, okay, pray, I, I, yeah, I can, I can do that. That's not too kind of, you know, out there, is it? I can imagine praying. See, the very same people Jesus is commissioning. He says, pray, first of all, and then go, I'm sending you out. <laughs> like uh, lambs among wolves. You see, Jesus wants us to get involved in the mission by praying. Jesus wants us to get involved in the mission by going, our circumstances are different. Uh, You know, we're not about to go to the next town because Jesus is not about to physically visit the next town. It's rather, I think, in a settled situation in a modern city that there will be people in your life that God is sending you to. People that actually, you're the best person to be an example to them of what it is to know Jesus and to speak to them about what it is to know Jesus, either because you're the only one in the family or the office or the factory that knows him, or because actually this is an incredibly diverse city with all types of different people, and, well, God has an incredibly diverse church, doesn't he? We're all quite different from each other. And so someone who might sort of find me just weird and just don't connect with me at all, but they might connect with you, yeah? And vice versa, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm okay to some people. But and it's, it's that, isn't it? We're all different, and God will be, God will be using us, and, and he's saying, pray and, and go. There'll be people that he has for you. I noticed the way Jesus changes the picture. I read it in verse 3. He says, I sent you out as lambs among wolves. He's realistic as ever. God's servants are always, in some sense, at the mercy of the world around us. We have incredible freedom in this country, but it's, it's not our right in a sort of absolute sense. It's only that we have that as a historic legacy. We can't cope in our own strength. And actually, you know, forget the kind of big picture of a whole society and culture. Uh, some of us might just really feel that. Yeah, I don't feel I can cope in my family sometimes. It's just really hard to be a Christian. Or in my workplace. It's really hard to be a Christian. 
And often kids find this at school. Well, I hope it's reassuring that Jesus said, I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. He was totally realistic. He wasn't saying it's going to be easy to follow him or to speak of him. And sometimes there are, there are seasons in church history where a whole load of people have responded at, at the same time and people have talked about seasons of revival. But even then, there's been those who've spoken against it, there's been opposition to it. Even then. So we shouldn't be surprised. Jesus has warned us. And you may have seen on the internet, as I did, um, uh, just a few weeks ago, uh, a man preaching outside Southgate Tube Station uh, from the Bible, talking about Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life, was arrested by police just a few weeks ago. So the, the, the rights that we've had in this society, they are being chipped away. But we say, well, okay, Jesus told us it was going to be like that. Let's not be surprised. Let's keep going. Well, the answer, what is the answer to the man at Southgate Tube Station or you going into the office uh, or you going back to the family? Is it to be super prepared and if we're going as lambs among wolves, well, we need some wolf-proof armour, don't we? Well, no. (laughs) That's not what Jesus told the people he sent out, is it? They were the opposite of super prepared. He said, don't take anything with you. Just go as you are. Because here in chapter 10, just like in chapter 9 when he sent the 12 out, he's saying, you know, take nothing with you. And he's wanting them to discover God's provision. Hence all these sort of instructions about going to the house and eating what's given you and being content with that. And just saying, you know, God, these people as they had their first experience of being sent out on mission were to discover that God would provide. And, and in that sort of way, that's the, that's the, that's the God we know, isn't it? God who who leads us into challenging places but who's there with us in the middle of those challenging places. Uh, If we feel uh, small in number as uh, often we do. Uh, Some people are part of a a larger church each Sunday and it's great to be part of a a crowd. Uh, I love singing as part of a crowd. Um, but, But notice Jesus didn't say the answer is to stick together. All 72 of you stick together. You know, safety in numbers. He said, no, go out two by two. It's good not to be alone. It's good to have someone else there with you. But go out two by two. Trust that God will will be with you as you do that. And at the end of the day, it's not the crowd, it's not the show that will help people know Jesus. It's the message about him and his love that we pass on. So pray and go. Back in the 1980s, there was a famine in Ethiopia. I'm sure most of us remember it on TV. A lot, lot of us felt great compassion for the suffering. But we were busy feeling that, and then one man stood up, didn't he? A, a slightly has-been pop star, even then, Bob Geldof, decided to take action. And he organised Band-Aid and everything that came from that. Now, not everyone's a fan of Bob Geldof, but you can't argue with the fact that he saw the need and didn't just feel deeply moved or discuss the the situation with some friends, he responded and did something. Well, how about us with the culture we live in, that we swim in, that we move around in? Increasingly, it's a culture that doesn't know its right from its left, to use that biblical phrase. It's, where is our culture going? What's steering it? What's important? You know, 
It's, it, it's agonising to, to read of the soaring knife crime making our streets so unsafe, particularly for young people, but for us all. It's utterly bamboozling that leaders and lawmakers are so confused about gender, what it is to be male and female, and that they're inflicting it on primary school children who are going to be paying the price for that confusion. It's, it's utterly mind-boggling. That's our culture. Doesn't it need people to pray and to go? To go to other people with God's word in humility to say, well, God's actually explained what it is to be male and female and how good it is to be either one or the other and that both are equally valuable. Isn't that good news for our culture? Good news that God's word can guide us. Good news for people facing a Christless eternity that he's come as our saviour. So we pray and this Tuesday night, 7.30, in the vicarage, if you haven't got a doctor's appointment, do try and be there because that's the most important meeting of our church month. We gather to pray. And we go wherever God sends us in our average week or in our lives. We have all sorts of people we meet along the way. And when the weather cheers up, um, Andrew Quapong, our London City Mission uh, guy, is, uh, he's going to lead us and help us to think about how we might uh, do some things in the neighbourhood uh, to meet some more of our neighbours. As for what we say when we go, what I want to uh, summarise what we find here is um, we tell people they need Jesus. We pray and go. We tell people they need Jesus. Look down with me again, would you, uh, verse 5. Um, what they said was they, they walked into a place, they found a house that was uh, opening the door to them, and they said, peace to this house. Uh, then jump down to verse 9. Their message, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Because, of course, King Jesus was about to visit. And they weren't simply advertising and saying, oh, people, Jesus is really good. It was a really positive message, verse 9. But it had a built-in warning, and that's what happens in verse 10 to 15, isn't it? All the, all the warnings and the explanation of what happens if you reject Jesus. You see, they weren't, and we shouldn't just say, Jesus is great, although he is. It, but it's not just that Jesus is great and wonderful to know him in your life. He is necessary, totally, 100% necessary for 100% of people we've ever lived we need Jesus to save us we all do so verse 11 when they were rejected they would take a prophetic action and wipe the dust off their feet as a warning to the people who were rejecting the message that God would wipe them off his feet because, verse 16, if you reject Jesus, you reject God. And that's really serious. But it's not the kind of warning that says, right, I'm going to have nothing more to do with you, there's no more hope for you. It's a warning like, steep cliff, stay away from the edge. Take this seriously, you're not at the moment. Take this seriously, change direction. Change direction. 
Jesus really cares for the towns he's mentioned. He's totally exasperated by the ones he lists in verse 13 to 15. But he cares for them. He's done so much of his ministry there. And he warns them so that they might change. Although he does warn them what will happen if they don't change. Now, I don't know what the modern equivalent is. I've been thinking about it. What prophetically wiping your footwear when you're at the office and someone says, no, I hate Jesus, I want nothing to do with him. I don't know how we prophetically wipe our footwear in the modern world. I, you know, I can't really... But somehow we want to get it across, don't we? Oh, I know that that's what you think at the moment. But can I just say, that's really serious to have that attitude to Jesus. Because we all need a saviour and he's the only one. Or something like that. We want to be really clear. We live in a culture that well, when it comes to God, it just thinks, oh, well, you know, you can have a private opinion about God, but there's not actually real truth out there. A culture which is more than happy for you. Yeah, you can go and like Jesus. You can be his fan. You can go join a church, you know, if that helps you. Super. But a culture which doesn't think it needs Jesus. Oh, no. Well, no, we don't need Jesus. Not in the modern world. That's our culture. When the reality is that without him, without him going to Jerusalem to die, it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for London and for our friends and family without Christ. Notice finally on this, on the second half, verse 11, uh, second half of verse 11, when people uh, reject the message about Jesus, we don't apologise. We don't apologise for what we said. We don't try something different. We stick to what we said before. Um, as well as in whatever way we can, gently, but, and with respect, but warning people that we do need him. We do need him. He's not an optional, optional extra. We pray and go. We tell people they need Jesus. And finally, we rejoice that our names are written in heaven. That comes in verse 20. It's a lovely conclusion to this um, long section. The 72 come back. They're full of excitement. Even the demons submit to them in Jesus' name. They're giving their report back. Jesus shares their joy. But in verse 20, he refocuses them. Do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. You see, we're not JWs, are we? I mean, we know we're not JWs, but we're not trying to be like the JWs. As far as I can see, they have some sort of hierarchical belief about heaven where the more they witness, the higher up they will be, or something like that. Now, what it means is that they're more likely to knock on your door than the average Christian. They work jolly hard at witnessing, don't they? So is it, well, you know, it gets the job done and justifies the means. What does it matter? No, no, it's not like that at all. You see, that's the exact point Jesus is making. It really matters. He doesn't simply want you and me to kind of be rabid workers. He wants you and me to know him, to know the Father, to receive the kingdom like little children. That's what he rejoices in in verse 21. We're not going to go into that section in any detail, but to maybe notice there that he's rejoicing, he's overflowing with joy, that that people like little children have responded to the invitation 
to come back to God when the people who were all clever and should have known to do it didn't. And, and, and so he uses this picture in verse 20 of, of, of writing our names in heaven when we come back to him. Um, the last book of the Bible, Revelation, it pictures Jesus, uh, Jesus with a book, calls it the Lamb's Book of Life. And the picture is of you and I in the world, everyone who's ever lived, standing there with the weight of our sins stacked against us, all the wrong things we've said and thought and done. And next to us is a lake of fire in this picture, which is all too ready to receive us, and we deserve to be there. It's what sin deserves. Eternal banishment from God, eternal punishment. That's how horrific sin is. And in this picture, as people one by one are judged, our only hope is if our name is written in the Lamb's book of life in heaven, in other words. And on Judgment Day, I'll be there, and they'll go through it. Hang on a minute, C, D, D for Dival. Let's see, is it there, is it there? Uh, yeah. Stephen Robert Dival. Saved by Jesus Christ. Sins paid for by him. Your name's in the book. Come into the Father's presence. And the issue for me on that day will not be, well, how many sermons did you preach, Steve? How many people did you help in some way as a vicar? That's not what God will judge. The question will be, Steve, is your name in the book? Is your name written in heaven? In Jesus' blood? Did he die for you? And you see, that's what brings Jesus such joy. He's about to go to Jerusalem and die. But he's full with joy because... He knows that death is going to bring people into the Father's presence forever. We're going to know him now, and we're going to know him forever, face to face. And when you and I realise the privilege of that, when we get a glimpse of the joy of our names being written in heaven by Jesus Christ, then that will overflow from us. That's what will motivate us knocking on a door or going to a colleague across the across the room, taking a, another opportunity to chat to that member of the family. That's what will motivate us, is realising, gosh, what a privilege, what a joy to know God through Jesus Christ, to have my name in heaven, and to know that anyone and everyone who puts their faith in Jesus can share that privilege. Wow, I want to share it with others. Jesus wants other people to come to know him, so he wants to involve us in his mission. How? As you pray and go, as you tell people they need Jesus, and as you rejoice that your name is written in heaven, and then that joy overflows in your life.